Although we both identify as Roman Catholic, our aim is not to convert or convince. We have no official affiliation with any religious body and present here only our own interpretations and opinions of these stories. We understand and expect that some listeners may not have spiritual belief in certain aspects of these events, but we hope you find value in them as historical narratives which are inextricably tied to the times, places, cultures, and spiritual beliefs of the people who lived and retold them. Due to age and variable documentation practices, we cannot guarantee the historical accuracy of these stories. And welcome to A Martyr and a Monk. That's Victoria. And that's Christina. Today we are going to talk about a kind of a random guy. Uh, I just oh. picked it random and it worked out pretty well. So sometimes you just got to pick randomly. Yep. <laughs> uh, so we're going to play a fun game oh. today. Yes. B- related. Yes. But quick, quick thing that is going to help me further uh, pick randomly. My partner was going through all of his like childhood things, and he found like an old fashioned leather bound book of saints. <laughs> oh, weird. <laughs> and he was like, here you go. <laughs> I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> Dope. <laughs> yeah. So we've got another book of saints. <laughs> Excellent. My book of saints is digital, which means I cannot just flip through it and pick a random page. It's much harder yeah. to do. Yeah. So I picked I will say- on the internet. So a lot of times, for the but a peek behind the curtain, we have the giant, is it called just the Book of Saints? Mm, something like that. It has a very generic name. It is called the Book of Saints, Comprehensive Biographical Dictionary, 8th Revived Edition, published by Bloomsbury. It's ginormous. Um, it is huge. Uh, the only unfortunate part is it really only gives you like the person's name and when they died and not really anything else. Yeah, it's like a one sentence blurb. And you're like, great. Yeah, it's like a one sentence blurb. But if, if they're like a martyr, they're like, they were a martyr. And you're like, cool. What else? Yeah. <laughs> um, so- it does have a lot of really helpful uh, indications of like this person used to be a saint, but has been declassified. Yes. And like, they're this right. kind of saint. They're this kind of martyr, which is helpful. And. They have a lot of symbols of like when they were declassified. Yes, which is helpful. Which is helpful because especially because on the Wikipedia, it's not always super clear. Yeah, you can't always find it at all <laughs> yeah. on the internet. Actually, yep. So, all right, all right. Anyway, uh, I was thinking that we should play a fun game because you seem like you can never guess where people are from based on the names of the places they were born. Correct. So I think that today I'm just gonna give you the name of the place he was born, and you can just try to guess it, and we'll see. We'll see how you do. All right, so I'm trying to guess the country? Yep. Okay, so okay. our man today, whose full name I'm not going to tell you because it will sort of give away where he is from, uh, yes. was born in a place called Fleosleaf. I'm thinking Scandinavia. <laughs> uh, Scandinavia-ish, yeah. Way up, way up north-ish. North-ish, um, yep. <laughs> but if it's the old times... Scan- the Scandinavians were more out and about than they are now. True. So they could be further south than they are now. I'm going to guess that the place is now in modern day Russia. 
but it's like a bit south of the of the Scandinavias. Uh, good guess, but no. So <laughs> our man today is Saint Thorlak. Good. Uh, and his birth name was Thorlaker Thorlson. So Thorlaker, son of Thor. Uh, very creative. Uh, he was born in 1133 in Fjosleif, which is in yes. South Central Iceland. Okay. So we're just off. Yes. He just went in the wrong direction from Scandinavia. Yep. yep. They're just off. Yep. Off the land. All right. Yep. So Iceland uh, is weird. not quite a circle, but like we can visualize as a, as a sort of a ovally circle. I am not going to lie. I would not have thought that Catholicism would have gotten to Iceland in the 1100s. Uh, yes. Well, we will come to that shortly. Okay. <laughs> so Iceland is like not a circle, but we can imagine it as kind of a circle ovally shape. Uh, so Fljosleif is a village kind of um, near the south coast. It's not quite on the coast, but it's like, you know, close enough to the coast that they could access it easily. Um, right. And it's like just west of center. Uh, today, Iceland has a ring road around the whole country, like other oh. places have ring roads around cities. They have a ring Helpful. road around the whole country <laughs> along the coast. Um, and so Flosleaf is like pretty close to the ring road. So a lot of tourists will just like, as their vacation, will just drive the ring road and see all the things. Um, yeah. Because the middle of Iceland is mostly nothing. <laughs> right. So they just stick on the edge. So if you're on this ring road, you will go past Flosleaf. Um, which is is a tiny, it still called that? It is still called that, but it is a tiny, okay. tiny little town of nothing. <laughs> tiny little hamlet thing? Yep. Yeah. Uh, the word Fjosleif apparently means something like river hill or river slope. Which is just a fun fact. Is it by a river? It is by a river. Um, okay, good. <laughs> uh, it's also by the weird? ocean, so. Yeah. Anyway, just a tiny little nothing town. Uh, so our man Thorlek... Uh, he mm-hmm. is born to a farming family, which makes sense because pretty much everyone in Iceland was and is a farming family. Um, mm-hmm. They are like poor, not as well off as they could be. Again, classic story. Also, Iceland. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anyone Even knows the this, rich but people were yeah. kind of struggling. <laughs> Agriculture in Iceland doesn't really work. They mostly have to live no. on livestock. Um, yep. So an agricultural family is it's probably not cold. doing... Super. Also, they don't really have dirt. They just have volcanic rock Lava. and moss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and lichen and stuff. Yes. It's very like, if you're thinking about where did dirt come from? Dirt came from lichen-eating rocks, and that's what Iceland's doing at the yeah, moment. It's second slow. It's lichen-eating rocks, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. So you've got to have stuff, like especially livestock, that are willing to eat pretty much anything. Yes. Uh, yeah. So. Yep. Even then, probably not a lot of cows. It's probably I, think like it, I think it's a sheep. And I think reindeer. it's a sheep country. Sheep, sheep yeah, and goats. I think it's sheep. Possibly mostly. reindeer. They uh, might also have maybe. reindeer. They have horses now, but I suppose they probably had horses yeah. then too. But anyway, uh, so his family uh, don't know very much about them. As far as we know, both of his parents were alive. So, like he wasn't an orphan or anything. He lived with his parents, and it seems mm-hmm. like he maybe had one sister. Although oh, that's like yeah. kind of. Like, people putting it together from other clues rather than anyone explicitly saying right. that he has a sister. Um, also, then, it's the 1100s. Yes. So like, also, it's possible that he has lots of other siblings and they just never Oh, yeah. Up. 
Yeah. But he Especially has, the eleven hundreds. Yes, there is one person who is maybe his sister who does come up later. So maybe oh, okay. he has a sister. Um a character that is important to the story. Yes, kind of. She's not that okay. important. She's just sort of well. important. Um okay. so as you were asking, um Iceland is colonized in I wanna say like the seven or eight hundreds. Um, by the Vikings. By the Vikings, yeah. Okay. So that's how people get there because it's, yeah, they you know, sail a ways over off the coast, um, yeah. and it's the same group of people, like the same sort of general group of people that end up finding North America, who find Greenland and Canada, um, right, long before Columbus. Iceland is a good stopping over spot. Yes, so yeah, hence flights to Europe, stopping in Iceland. <laughs> yes, so it says that the Vikings um, sort of start to settle in Iceland in eight seventy four, so like three hundred ish years before he's born. So they haven't um, even been there that long. No, they haven't. Um, so as you can imagine, when the Vikings turn up originally, they are pagans. They're Vikings, right? They're just doing whatever Vikings are doing. They're, yeah. Yep. They're doing, their own <laughs> They're doing Norse yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. And then like one to 200 years after the colonization of Iceland starts is when missionaries start turning up, I think mostly from Germany and hmm. converting the population. Um, from what I understand. Wait, so what? Wait, what year? So about a thousand? Uh, more like 900, 900. 900 to 1,000-ish. Okay. okay. Yep, is when the missionary is this, stuff happens. Is this when there's a bunch of missionaries? No, because that's Roman times. I was thinking about England. I'm trying to think about how did they know that there were a bunch of people way over there. Well, they were traded. They would have been trading with the Vikings. Um, that's true. And like, uh, like, not Hamlet. No, it is Hamlet, maybe. Like, a lot of uh, the stories of, like, a Danish king doing something or other and Norwegian kings, yeah. like, they have pretty solid kingdoms in, like, Norway, Sweden. Right. Uh, and, like, the English royal family would have known about them. Know they would have been them. trading partners and, like, having wars and just like the rest of Europe. Okay. Uh, so, the conversion starts a couple hundred years before he is born. I didn't look super into the conversion because it was before he was born, but it seems like it was kind of a struggle to convert the Icelanders. Um, I mean... Yeah, when is it not? reasonable. Um, but <laughs> by the time our man Thorlak is born, it seems like they have pretty solidly, like it's done now. Huh. Everyone's Christian. It's just, you know, it's whatever. Interesting. So he is born That's Christian. That's interesting, especially for, you know, it makes a little bit more sense when you're trying to converting like a town on the mainland because you have like continuous feeding mm-hmm. of that. Of people being like, yes, we are still Christian. We are still Christian. Yes. Still Christian. But <laughs> people checking just, on you. Yeah, but when you just leave a bunch of people on an island just like way out there and you make them Christian and then you're like, okay, we're done. And then you leave yes. and you think everybody would just be like drifting well, back to they, what we were doing. They kind of do drift back. Well, do? they don't go all the way okay. back to what they're doing, but there are some But problems. they drift into some yes. things. Okay. Which we will get to. But so yeah, he is born Christian, his family is Christian, like Christianity is normal and whatever in Iceland when he is born, right? Okay. No big deal. So um, his family, like I said, they're farmers, uh, but I guess they notice pretty early on that he's like a studious young man with like an interest in theology and stuff. Okay. And so they make an effort to get him into like classes with the local priest like you know more okay. education than most people in that time would have had probably yeah um because yeah. i follow like, the priest around and yes do some stuff, do some stuff. <laughs> it yeah. seems like it works astonishingly well because he is ordained a deacon when he is about 15 damn <laughs> yep i <laughs> mean also i guess if you don't have many people 
I guess. Anyway, it's like, I guess you've been an altar kid for so long. Guess what? <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. You're a deacon, deacon now. Uh, and then yeah. about three years after that, he is ordained a priest. So he's 18 and he's a priest. Huh. Which well, is, yeah, is fine-ish, I guess. Um, and then when he is 20 years old, his family somehow scrounges up the money to send him to Paris to study. Wow. Which is amazing. Uh, I wonder if also it was like the parish. Yeah, the, yeah, the parish like maybe. Like other people. Like, yeah, yeah. Helping I don't too. know how they did this. It seems amazing yeah, to me. that's insane. Um, all the sources just yeah. breeze right past it. <laughs> and you're like, dear God, you know how expensive yeah. that would have been? Yeah. It's not just getting to England or getting back to like like Norway or something. It's yeah, it's a long <laughs> All the way time. down there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so he is sent to Paris, uh, to the School of St. Victor, which was in the Abbey of St. Victor, um, which had been founded, oh. like, not that long before he got there, only, like, 50-ish years before he turned up. Uh, he turns up oh, in so 1153. New. Yeah, so it's pretty new. Yeah. Um, All right. And these people's whole vibe is that they focus on the teachings of St. Augustine, uh, it is not Saint Augustine Saint of Hippo. No, this just the name of the abbey is Saint Victor, um, but okay. they're like they're like an Augustinian abbey. They're Augustinian, okay, yeah, right. And remember, everybody, we have talked about Saint Augustine on an episode. That is Augustine of Canterbury, which is not the same it's as August. This Saint Augustine, <laughs> this is Saint Augustine of Hippo, who is hippo, a much bigger yes. deal. Yes. Yes. The hippo one is like, he's the one who did all the, you know, writing. Yeah, he wrote a ton of like, theological stuff and is the founder of all kinds of This is how we should do things. Yeah. Things. Yes. It's that one, not yes. a different one. Yes. yes. So the school of St. Victor <laughs> is like doing Augustinian teaching kind of stuff. Um, okay. They are focusing a lot on the rule of St. Augustine, like capital R, rule of St. Augustine. Um, okay. And this is yeah. a treatise that Augustine wrote in about the year 400. Um, and it's basically okay. just like a doctrine of how uh, people should live in like a monastic religious life. Um, includes okay. rules yeah. about like, you know, monks and people should be chaste and yeah. they should live in poverty and they should be obedient and they should fast and they should, this is how they break up their labor. And this is how the like yeah. hierarchy of your monastery should be set up. And this and is they support like, themselves and, mm -hmm. you know. And these yeah. are like, these are the prayers you say at different times of day and you're supposed to be caring for yeah. the sick and like doing all these things, right? Like just lays out how monastic orders are supposed to run is this yeah. rule of St. Augustine. Um, interestingly, it's, remind, sorry, it reminds me of like, you know, you think about all these people who wrote all this stuff and a lot of people are like, oh, they're writing all these like, you know, mm -hmm. revelations about Jesus, whatever. It's like, no, most of the time they were just like organizing shit. Yeah, they're just... <laughs> Deciding like on in anything. the old times it's just like okay we have to put somebody in charge of something so this is how you do it yeah and then you send that to a bunch really of really boring it's logistic like, stuff yeah it's yeah. not actually about god at all it's like yeah okay we have to feed all these people so this is how you do it mm -hmm. uh, so anyway. interesting this rule this doctrine was written in about the year 400 um and it is the oldest monastic rule as in like monastic rule with a capital r like a doctrine. Yes. It is the yep. oldest one in the Western church, which is interesting. Oh. Um, but it actually only took over as like the main popular version mm -hmm. in about the 1100s. So around this time that oh. Thorlach is studying. 
Huh. Uh, so if it's that old, it makes sense why so many people are Augustinians. Because yes, it is much more time for people to pick it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of the vibe. (laughs) So that's one of the things that this church, that this school is doing. They're focusing on Augustine's rules and like how to do this, um, which, like I said, is like gaining a lot of popularity right around this time. Um, They also have a focus, like they're very pro education and learning. Like they think that the clergy should be educated. Um, but they're very clear that they want them to be educated because they believe that education and knowledge can help you like lead a holier life. Like specifically of how advanced knowledge can help you be a better person and like can help yeah. you make better choices and things rather than the just opposite. like- opposite of some people today yes so instead of focusing on it as like knowledge for knowledge's sake like that's not their thing like we're doing it because we think it will help you yeah to be holier and make better choices and be more moral right all these things which Which is solid i would say is true (laughs) (laughs) sounds good if you have better understanding of everything you probably have better understanding of like yourself Mm -hmm. and other people Mm -hmm. uh so it seems like this school uh school of saint victor in paris is like a reasonably popular school, like a lot of like reasonably famous and important, you know, middle ages clergy type people are educated here. Um, You know, lots of bishops of important cities and various saints and like not people we would have heard of, but like if you went and looked, I was going to say, do we have a notable alumni list? (laughs) Uh, No, but like if you went, look, I mean, kind of like you could look up a list of notable people. You wouldn't recognize people you're going to recognize. But then if you like clicked on it, you'd be like, oh, this guy was the, you know, he was the Bishop of Rome. Like it's a big deal. And you're like, oh, (laughs) yeah, or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But interestingly, so the school opens in the early 1100s. It only in this sort of version of it with the focus on knowledge and things only lasts until 1173. So less than 100 years um, where they get a new prior and he's just anti-education and sucks apparently. Boo. But this is after. Well, they also also can't be, they can't be super education based because that's for the, uh, jesuits later <laughs> yes they can't keep it uh, you can't so, keep it it's the jesuits <laughs> yep so our man thorlak is there from 1153 till 1157 uh so he okay. he leaves long before uh, 20 years before he gets shut down so it doesn't really affect him um okay he does not go home he goes from paris to okay. england to a town called okay. lincoln uh which at the time was sort of like the biggest and most important center of like religious and clergy education stuff in England. Uh, and this is question. Yes. <laughs> Does that mean Lincoln is just Lincoln because he came from Lincoln? His family, his came family from probably did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I hate. Okay. Yes. So, uh, if you remember, we talked about Osmond, who is in Salisbury. Um, yes. And made up a, a right in all kinds of, you know, early church education stuff yes. in England. Uh, so Lincoln's Cathedral and Lincoln's education schools are kind of being set up at a similar time after the Norman Conquest. Okay. Um, and so kind of you end up with like Lincoln and Salisbury are the main like big deal educate religious education places in England. Um, okay. and then by this time, which is about a hundred years later, Lincoln has overtaken Salisbury. And it's like, if you want to be a highly educated priest, like Lincoln's your place. Um, huh. They have a cathedral. I really hate that. It's called Lincoln. Anyway, <laughs> they have a cathedral. It's, really it's a market, market town. <laughs> it's pretty, you know, okay. it's whatever. 
Um, our man Thorlock is thing. there. Yep. Our man Thorlock is there from 1157 till 1165 uh, when he is in his okay. sort of mid to late 20s. Uh-huh. Fun fact, just like Salisbury, Lincoln also has a Magna Carta. Not totally sure why, but they do. Okay. Lincoln has one, <laughs> Salisbury has one, and the other two are in the British Library. <laughs> yep. Oh, they have one of the Magna Cartas. They yes. don't have their own Magna Carta. No, they don't Carta. have their okay. own. They have, there are four Magna Cartas. Weird. One of them's in Salisbury, one's in Lincoln, and two are in the British Library. So yeah. Just a fun fact. What was the Magna Carta again? What? Uh, it's like a constitution. It's like a yeah. list of peasant rights and right. how you like what kinds of rules, what kinds of rights the king has and what he is and isn't allowed to do. And but what time? It's related to the U.S. somehow because I learned about it. So it's not right? really related to the U.S. It's probably no. in like the twelve or thirteen hundreds, probably. Uh, it's just it's important it's because it's one government. of the yeah because it's an early like okay. people rising up and being gotcha. like stop we have rights <laughs> yeah yes. please stop <laughs> yeah that's why it's important oh, okay okay so Thorlock is there until eleven sixty five when he is thirty two um, okay and then he goes home because he's done with his education huh? I guess or possibly his money well, right now I don't know I'm glad he's one of the few who actually goes home. <laughs> Yes, he does go home. Many do not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he goes, gets back to Iceland in 1165. Um, and he... <coughs> so part of the reason that the rule of St. Augustine and agreeing on these sort of monastic order rules is gaining popularity around this time is because in the like 200-ish years before this, uh, like rules have been severely breaking down in all of the Catholic Church, just like all over Europe, and like more and more things are kind of going wrong, and people aren't following the rules. And there's um, okay, a Pope people Gregory has like recently started being like, no, 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 we need to reform, we need to like fix all these things. Um, yeah. So Thorlecker uh, goes back to Iceland, and similar things are happening in Iceland because, as you said. It's much harder to maintain just things there. because they're over there by themselves and no one ever checks on them. Yeah. Uh, so they're like, they are Christian, but no one's making sure that they're the priests are behaving properly. No one's holding Doing them to any right. standards. Yeah. So they've got a lot of problems um, in Iceland. Uh, there's a lot. They specifically list some things that are a big issue. Uh, one thing they're having a big problem with is that the clergy in Iceland just has given up on being celibate, basically. They just don't do that oh anymore. <laughs> Which, like, to be fair, it's not just Iceland. Like, a lot of Europe is kind of, like, drifting of in this direction. Iceland just gets there faster because no one's checking on them. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of their clergy is not celibate anymore. They are having problems with lay patronage, which is, like, lobbying groups, kind of, where lay right. rich people can sort of make the church do things by paying yeah. them. Which they're not mm-hmm. supposed to do. Um, they're well, also having problems with simony, maybe simony, uh, which is when uh, is that based people, off of Simon. Yeah, it's based off a Simon. I don't know if it's based off that Simon, um, oh, okay. but it's when uh, you can buy positions in the church. Like I'm going to pay you to make my nephew the bishop or whatever. Right, but you're not yeah. supposed to do. That's bad. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> that's what. Uh, Thorlek comes home to is that this has kind of been happening his whole life in Iceland and all over Europe and it's just like getting worse yeah. and worse and worse and mainland Europe is sort of trying to push back like they're starting their reformation kind of we're gonna fix all yeah. these things 
Um, but you kind of have to fix mainland Europe before you get all the outer. <laughs> yes. Well, so they're having islands. a problem because they don't have that many people traveling back and forth, as you can imagine. Right. So when he comes yes. back, he has just had all this Augustinian education of all these rules and how you're supposed to live. Uh-huh. Uh, and he's like, I'm going to try to fix this. <laughs> so well, good for him. one of the very first <laughs> things that happens to him is that the um, the community wants him to marry this rich widow who lives in their area. Yeah. Because it will bring money into the church and stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, and he was like, no. No. Well, gonna <laughs> I'm not supposed to do that. against the point. Yes. And he's like, yes. nope. And so <laughs> instead of staying in the city, um, where it's just where all these people live and are trying to make him do things, he like pieces out to a little rural, vid- rural, rural village. Oh. Uh, so he goes to a place called... <sighs> Fifquabard, maybe. Oh. Fifth Fifquabard. Good job. Uh, which is a <gasps> tiny, tiny coastal village. It's actually on the coast, like actually on the coast, unlike where he was born, which is kind of a little inland. Um, yeah. Fifquabard is on the coast. It's only about uh, eighteen miles from where he was born. It's a little further west, so close by. So it's not yeah. that far away. Um, fun fact: they think it's the oldest rural village in Iceland. Interesting. Damn. Yeah. So it's like probably one of the earlier spots that they landed. Probably, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. With the population, do you want to have a guess of what the population in 2021 of Fifth Quobard it was? 2021. Yep. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, ooh, it could go one of two directions. I'm drawing on all of my Wyoming small town knowledge. Um, I believe in you. I'm gonna say like 50. 79. Ah, nice. Close. I was like, do I go, do I go like under 100 or do I go like 200? That's what's my. It's nobody. Um, It is a tiny little village. I think it was probably a tiny little village then too. Um, Yeah. It used to be a fishing village. I don't think they really do that so much anymore, probably because there's only 79 people there and also it's way cheaper and easier to buy it from the grocery store. Um, But. Well. (laughs) So he goes out to this village. I bet they do still fish a little bit goes out to fifth covard and founds okay. a monastery it is a monastery for canon regulars which is another one of these fun words that we actually talk about all the time without ever actually using the word um mm. so a canon Good. regular is a group of ordained clergy who live together in monastic life under a, set, a certain set of rules um so the, so canon, the canon regularly yes kind of <laughs> like <laughs> Canyon regular, it's kind of like, so you get like the Jesuits. What are the Jesuits? The Jesuits are an order. What is yes. an order? An order is a subdivision of the canon regulars. So like all of them together. So all of them are canon are the can Like that is the name for that type of thing, thing. is a canon yes. regular. And then you've got, you know, yes. your orders and your yes. monasteries. And they're specifically huh. canon regulars are the ones who like stay in the monastery like they they pray and they contemplate they and do they, all the things they like don't hang out with the community you know like they are their yeah. own group um yeah. and then you have separate groups like there's a group called the clerics regular um who oh. are the ones who are like your normal parish priest is a cleric regular because he is not oh, in yeah, a community yeah. he is uh-huh. like off on his own he interacts with the people he does he's like in charge of a parish and, but like, he's also got his own rules he has his own rules yeah um and then there are also um secular clergy um who are 
not part of any order and you get lay orders who are people who live this monastic life but who aren't ordained you know there's like a lot of categories which doesn't really matter Um, but specifically he starts a monastery of canon regulars which is ordained priests living together not interacting so much with the community under a set of he starts a monastery yes your classic monastery yeah okay Um, in this tiny town yes in this tiny little village which I think was probably also tiny then um So he just kind of like does that for a while, you know, runs his monastery. It seems like he personally was more of like a quiet and withdrawn person and wanted to be left alone to pray and think and, you know. Okay. Uh, so this is like more his vibe, which I can't imagine okay. he enjoyed Paris or Lincoln uh, if this is his vibe. But yes, <laughs> this is what he's doing now. Um, he apparently does a very good job because in 1175, he is consecrated as the bishop Um, at the time Iceland is divided into two bishoprics. Um, and so he gets the Western one, which is now, uh, it would now be the Reykjavik diocese, but at the time it has a different name because Reykjavik doesn't exist yet. Um, (laughs) but so it's like, there's a Western one and there's an Eastern one and he's the bishop of the Western one. Um, he is consecrated by this guy named Augustinius Nidrosiensis, which is his Latin name. His, uh, Mm -hmm. Scandinavian name is Oysten. Um, oh, <laughs> he like is a saint. He is Saint <laughs> Oyston, so you can look him up. Uh, That's definitely a version of Justin, right? Uh, yeah, maybe. Could be. Um, <laughs> so Oyston right. was the Archbishop of Nidaros. Um, okay. Nidaros was <laughs> the diocese that covered, or not the diocese, but like a thing above a diocese. They call it a see, like the Holy See is yeah, the Roman the one, see, and then you get yeah. sees, which are like a bigger, right. a step up from a diocese. Yeah. Uh, so he's the Archbishop of the Sea of Nidaros, uh, and this sea covers all of Norway, Iceland, the Faroe Islands, the Orkney Islands, and Greenland. So all of the stuff up there. Just kind of all of that stuff, yeah. Uh, it's very fun to me that the this diocese in the 1100s covers Greenland. Like, they acknowledge yes. that it covers Greenland, and yet somehow Christopher Columbus still discovers the Americas. <laughs> Which is insane. Yeah, like they have gotten so far into this that he is part of diocese. That's like, yeah, we have Greenland, and then they're like, we found Greenland, and they're like, no. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so this bishop, uh, this archbishop. Also, certainly, there's nobody in Greenland because there's uh, still nobody in Greenland. There were, for I mean, the Vikings maintained villages in Greenland and mainland North America for a while. Uh, and then true. they just kind of got bored and left. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so this guy, St. Oyston, he's the archbishop of this see. He is a buddy of the king of Norway at the time. Uh, Oyston was also educated at the um, school of St. Victor in Paris. So like I said, okay. just like a lot of high rank and church people yeah. in this time come from this church school in Paris. Um our man Thorlack, like I said, is like a quiet and reserved person and did not really want to be the bishop or be in charge of things <laughs> and have to right. talk to people. Uh, but he, Happens you know, to the best of us. he feels like, you know, he has been educated in mainland Europe with this Augustinian rule and he has been sort of uh, taught about the, okay, when I say reformation, I mean reformation with the lowercase r. And not, yes, not the reformation. <laughs> Just like yes. general reforms happening He's in Europe. He's trying to reform. Yeah. Yes. So he has been like educated in this and he knows the like direction that mainland Europe is taking with trying to fix all these problems. Right. And so he is like, yeah. I know about this and I think I can help out Iceland fixing all okay. these things. So I'm going to be the bishop yes. and try to help. Okay. So he's the bishop now of the western uh-huh. half of Iceland. 
which is great. And so he is working on doing, fixing all these things. He's trying to convince the clergy that they're not supposed to get married. He's trying to stop like lay patronage and lobbying. He's trying to make sure that people can't buy um, church offices anymore. You know, he's trying to make it operate the way that it is supposed to operate. I will say trying to get priests who were married to not be married. Seems like a lost cause. There's nothing yeah. you can do about the ones who are already married. They're already married. You just have to stop new ones from getting yes, married. Yes, which I suppose is probably what he does. Although I can't imagine yes. that Iceland is churning out that many new priests. No. At any given time. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, there's a story that he gets in like a sort of a dangerous fight with this like leading powerful chieftain guy. In the sense okay. that like, ooh, everyone, everyone's like, ooh, don't, don't mess with him. He will, he will fuck you up. Kind yeah. of thing. Um, and the, right. the reason that he gets in a fight is because this chieftain was having, he's married, the chieftain is married, okay. uh, and was having an extramarital affair with Thorlax's sister. Oh my gosh. <laughs> which is why okay. they think that he has a sister. This is the only reason they think he has the a sister. The only reason? Is okay. because somebody says that this uh, affair partner was his sister. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if that's true. Okay. So he's like pushing back on the, the important hierarchy people uh-huh. of the time. Um, and he is supposed to be doing all of these things. He is um, consecrated as the bishop in 1175 when he is in his early 40s. And he kind of just like works at it for a while until he dies in 1193 at the age of 60. Like nothing super okay. of note happens beyond he's trying to okay. fix things. Okay. Uh, so he dies. Do you know how far he got? Uh, it seems like he did do a decent job. Um, okay. like you said, they kind of just have to wait for some of the old people to die. Like there's not a ton right. they can do about some of this. Um, yeah. but again, not that many new priests are being made in Iceland. So it's pretty easy to be like every eight months when one new priest pops up, you're just like, <laughs> catch him. Not <laughs> even every it. eight months, probably like every like four years. Yeah. Like, hey, you. <laughs> not that hard to like control them because there aren't that many yeah. of them and they aren't changing and they like, yeah. yeah. So like and he does very okay least job. like. He could stop the the like paying for posts and the, yes, because he's the bishop stuff. of the Western yeah, half, which is like, where I think where accept- most of the people live. Accepting it, yeah, yeah. So, so he like you okay. know he he works at it. He does a fine job. He makes you know, nothing progress. super of note, really. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. So he dies on December twenty third of eleven ninety three. He is sixty ish years old. Now here's the question. Yes. Why is he a saint? <laughs> Well, we will get to that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I'm not totally sure where he dies. It's possible he dies in the, like, capital city where the cathedral is, because he's the bishop, right? Um, right. The capital city, city is called Skullholt at the time. Okay. I think it does still exist, this city, but it kind of, like, gets absorbed into Reykjavik. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, this Skullholt city is about 25 miles from uh, Fifkobard, which is where he had set up his monastery. So okay. it's possible he dies in Skullholt because he's the bishop, but it's also not right. impossible that he was at his monastery. Right. Um, not totally. Or clear. really anywhere else. Yes, or really anywhere yeah. else. <laughs> um, but it's like. He not, was in Iceland, though. Yeah, it's not that far away. Like, he is not drifting from this, like, southwest coast of Iceland. Right. He's in the same area. Yeah. Um, Skullholt at the time was probably the biggest city in iceland so it's possible okay. that he was there don't really was know. there yeah yeah also don't know what sense. he died of he's 60 so he just could not just old just old um it's also possible he was old. sick or whatever no specific yeah. mention don't know he probably got some yeah uh so 
he <laughs> he is viewed as a saint kind of immediately after his death by Icelanders because as we've said not that many clergy people in Iceland uh, right. they don't have a ton of choices uh, so he is recognized like sort of officially like the Icelandic because remember we've talked about this thing where in the old times before they had rules the local clergy could decide that somebody was a saint yeah. for your yeah, local area pick them yeah. yes so the local clergy in Iceland decide in 1198 that he's a saint which is about five years after he died right Okay. Um, so some of the reasons they think he's a saint, obviously one of them is just that he's a major bishop who did good things. And that's like, you know, yeah. church work is just like enough of a thing. Sometimes. Historical stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but also after he dies, there are a lot of miracles attributed to him. Woo. Uh, which are fun. So yes. there's like a decently long list. Some of them are more fun than others. Okay. Uh, okay. so he, people praying to him are cured of, um, the records say like very generic problems of a 12th century Icelandic peasant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but these include, uh, stiff hands, sore throat, sore throats, um, burning eyes, uh, gassy Ooh. stomachs, just like generic yeah. problems. Problems. Um, at yeah. one point he finds lost hobbles, you know, like they used to hobble horses and stuff. Yes. So they can't wander okay. off. Uh, he finds, helps somebody find lost hobbles, lost sheep, lost sledgehammer, and a lost ring. Um, a sledgehammer. <laughs> yep. There are some very fun, uh, specifically Icelandy ones, such as he healed a horse which had been, quote, unwarily ridden where there was volcanic heat. Uh-oh. Yep. Uh, yes, let's so do that. that. Its legs got, quote, got Crispy. so burned that people thought it would die. Yeah, well, so yeah. somebody rode their horse near a volcano and good. hurt the horse really badly. You wouldn't. You would think that the horse would be like, "No, thank you." You would think. Also, it's point. not like these people have just turned up on Iceland. They have been here for right. several hundred years. They've you already been through one of the biggest volcanic explosions ever in Iceland. Has happened not that long ago. You would think people would be wonder, fully aware of where the volcanoes are. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if it was like. Because that's the thing is like, you know, horses are intelligent, but if it's like super dangerous, they're like, no, I'm not mm -hmm. doing it. Um, but I wonder if it was something like they were walking over a surface that was yeah, fine. Broke through it, maybe, and let broke out some through heat. It. Yeah. And that's why the horse wasn't like, no, you know, because mm -hmm. otherwise I don't know how you get to that point. But yeah, if you like broke through or like stepped into something you didn't know was hot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another one, which is good. extremely Icelandic. So he healed the wait. So he healed the horse. He healed the horse. Yep. Uh, another extremely Icelandic right. one is that <laughs> he healed a woman who had fallen into a hot spring, um, oh. and got so bur burned so badly that her skin was coming off with her clothes. Yep. Yeah, that'll happen. That Don't go happens. swimming in hot springs. Don't go on hot springs. Yeah. We know this from To be fair, I think she fell in. I don't think she went in. I don't think she intended. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he healed her. Accidentally. Great. Huh. Okay. Um, Which is impressive because burns will kill you real fast, even in the modern day. Yep. It's like, real bad. burns that bad, like, they not get even, like. they really easily and they are really hard to They get to infected, fix. but half the time you don't even make it to when the infection would be a problem. It's yeah. just your body is just like so much in shock and it's just like. Oh, God. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And it's like, uh, sorry. 
Goodbye. <laughs> There's a fun old-timey medieval one, which is that there was a chieftain who was soaking in his hot tub, because they live in Iceland and can do things like that. Um, this is chief is soaking in his hot tub and shaving Amazing. his beard, and he cuts himself with a razor. Uh-oh. Um, and was bleeding out really badly, and prayed to Jesus. Thorolk, and, uh, who came to save him and stop the stop the blood the bleeding (laughs) uh sort of more generally he calmed miscellaneous storms and floods as you get in the north atlantic ocean Um, Uh uh-huh he put out a house fire he oh good uh, resuscitated a kid who had drowned in the ocean and he mesmerized a seal so that a starving mother could kill it which is nice of him not for the seal. No, not for the seal. Um, <laughs> so a lot of these stories sound like, which I guess we don't, which must have happened, but we don't really get these stories anymore because, you know, like the church wants to like confirm things and be, mm-hmm. you know, things that actually sound like somebody intervened. But a lot of these sound like somebody was having a problem, especially like the lost sledgehammer and hop. I know. They're just like really There's generic like, They're just like, I the can't. They're just like, I can't find it. And then like in their brain, they're like this dude helped me and then they're like oh there it is <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. it's like they, it's it wasn't really they would have found it eventually whether or not they i know it's amazing prayed, They're excellent nothing problems guy. some of these yeah uh, and a lot of, of them it sounds like that so it's like yeah. okay <laughs> so a lot of the i think all of the records of his miracles and then just a lot of the information about this guy's life in general um comes from the saga of saint thorlac you know because the norse people used to write these big sagas you know right um which is a book and it was written uh around the time that he died so like a lot of this comes from that but also like it's a saga and sagas are kind of mythological you know yes right you know but at least it started (laughs) close enough yes uh Huh. it's not yeah. 800 years later where you're like wow okay so none of this is <laughs> yep <laughs> okay uh so like okay. i said the icelandic local icelandic clergy sort of grant him sainthood like they were allowed to do in 1198 um just about five years after he had died when they decide this they exhume his coffin again don't know where he was buried because not totally sure where he died but they exhume huh. his coffin okay. they clean up his bones and they put him, they like reinter the bones in a reliquary in the cathedral in uh, Skalhold, which is the big city. Yeah. Uh, When they do this, they hold a big mass because it's kind of like a canonization mass, right? Right. They get to decide. So they basically hold a mini canonization mass for him. Um, And what else are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. The saga about um, his life and like the things that happened to him says that there were, makes a point of saying that there were more than 200 beeswax candles at his mass. Why is that a big deal? Because beeswax is really freaking hard to find and there probably aren't really any bees. There are no bees on Iceland. (laughs) Are there no bees? Are there no bees? No bees at all? No bees. Hmm. Yep. I'm surprised that there aren't burrowing bees. Like, I'm not surprised that there aren't colonial bees, but I'm surprised there aren't. Well, it seems like there are no bees. It's bees. possible there are bees now, but there weren't then. Oh, yes. All of these candles had to be brought in from. So they mainland. got them from somewhere. Yep. Yeah. Uh, they also, wow. uh, you know, obviously it's like a big deal, fancy times mass, right? Yeah. Um, and they so they write a bunch of music for the mass, and you can okay. still get it. Ooh. Uh, I We will put a link in the Instagram. I wonder- uh, is it still used in uh, Iceland? It seems masses? like they, it's not like they use it, you know, in normal masses or Probably. anything anymore. Okay. It seems like they kind of didn't really use it for anything between 
when he died and they had this mass until uh, the 90s when they had like a 800 year death day celebration Whatever kind of thing heck. for him. Huh. And they did it again. I'm surprised then. they even have it. Like, well, yeah, apparently somebody kept decent records and they, they still have it. Yeah. Um, but so somebody in the 90s when they had this 800th death day thing. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah, so they huh. like they re-recorded it and the, lo- the local choir oh. re-sang it and you can get it on cool. YouTube. Um, wow. So we will link it if you are interested in hearing it. I listened to some of it. Like, it's lovely. It's nice. But it does just sound like generic, old-timey, monk chanty stuff. Normal, normal church stuff. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think it was super notable. Although, to be fair, I only listened to about 20 seconds of it. And there is a lot of it. So maybe some of it is So maybe it goes real crazy. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Also, they're singing in a language I don't understand. So. Right. Are they singing in Latin or are they singing in... I think they're singing in Latin. But, uh, yeah, it just sounds like normal churchy music. Um, so they put him in this reliquary and the reliquary is kept in, uh, Skullhold in the big cathedral there because it's the seat of the diocese. Uh, Makes sense. Classic and normal. It just hangs out there. People go and pray to him. Um, yeah. Until the- To find their sledgehammers? Yep. Find their sledgehammers. Uh, and people, that continues until the uppercase R reformation, uh, in the 1500s when the, you know, the cathedrals and things kind of get wrecked. Um, and some people break in and they- break up the reliquary and oh, no. like take out all the bits from inside and just like throw them around in the cathedral grounds so that they get lost rude. you know and separated which is a very rude thing to do to anybody even if you do not agree with them yes Desecrated especially since like i understand no, no. those people looking for like gold and stuff yes but it's like they're just bones actually just i think alone. the <laughs> the saga says that they wrapped his bones in gold like gold foil kind of stuff so it's possible they were trying to get the gold it's also possible that like in the reformation just like a lot of catholic stuff gets destroyed uh just generally so he gets strewn around the cathedral grounds and is lost of course because now he's outside yeah just gone uh today the only known remaining relic um of saint thorlac was a piece that had been sent before the reformation um it had been sent to the saint magnus cathedral on the faroe islands Oh. Uh, where it okay. is apparently kept in a lead box Still buried there. in a wall to keep it safe from the Reformation. Uh, as long as it's also with um, like relics from other saints. It's not just him. It's like a whole bunch yeah. of relics. Somebody put them in a lead box and hid them in a wall. Huh. Yep. All right. On the they're still Islands. there, supposedly. Yes, they are still there. Okay. Uh, so he is locally sanctified in 1198. Uh, he is not formally internationally sanctified until the 14th of January, 1984. Uh, okay. He is sanctified by, canonized by John Paul II. Uh, hmm. you know, classic normal stuff. It's interesting. Uh, there okay. are some miscellaneous fun stuff related to him. Uh, so he is the patron of Iceland as you would imagine, Makes because sense. I believe he is the only Icelandic saint. saint. Okay. Uh, they're not just the first, just he's the only one. Oh. Uh, there are some other saints who visited Iceland and like did stuff in right. Iceland, but there aren't any others who are like born from Iceland. Born in Iceland. Born in Iceland. You are Icelandic. Like he's the only one. Yeah. Uh, so he's huh. the patron of Iceland, mm-hmm. which is what uh, John Paul II like granted him that patronage, which is fun. Yeah. Uh, in 2018, the Bishop of Reykjavik, uh, like I said, uh, the diocese get redrawn when Reykjavik springs up as the biggest city, you know. Uh, so yeah. Reykjavik is the main diocese there now. The bishop in 2018 approves a novena, which is a nine-day devotional prayer. 
Yeah. Uh, kind of like a rosary. We've talked about it before. Bigger and more complicated. Yeah. Yep. Uh, various other people have done novenas. Yeah, there are, there's uh, like a whole bunch of them. So if you're like, you're really yeah. jazzed about a particular person or event, sometimes there's a novena for yeah. it and you can, you can go do that. So there's one for St. Thorlach, if that is your jam, if you're from Iceland huh. uh, or huh. the Scandinavian countries. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> there is also, um, so the, there's this holiday in Iceland called the Thorlach, Thorlach's Mesa. Uh, which is means the mass of St. Thorlach. Uh, and it is celebrated on his feast day, which is December 23rd, which is also the day he died. Uh, and it is a traditional holiday that, that used to be a bigger deal and is like kind of like a low a low tier holiday now. Because it's okay. basically because it's too close to Christmas. <laughs> like kind of gets lumped in with Christmas. Yeah. Um, yep. People consider it as like the last day of preparations before Christmas, like because you don't work on Christmas Eve. So it's like right. you finish your decorating, you buy all your presents, you finish cooking, and like all these things finish on St. Thorlach's Day. Um, and then at the okay. end of St. Thorlach's Day, like you're done, you get to relax. Um, there's a tradition what? in Reykjavik so- that people take, like, will go out with their family and take a walk like around town. Yeah. As like a, okay. we're done with preparations and now it's time to just like celebrate and be comfortable. Yeah. And, you know? So Thorlach's Day is the 23rd? 23rd, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I might have missed that. Um... <laughs> It's the last day of traditional Advent fasting, because uh, yep. you could, don't have to fast anymore on the 24th in a lot of traditions. Um, so it's like, ooh, yay, you know, we get to start eating, especially because yeah. in really, really traditional churches, um, things like the next day starts at sundown, just like in Judaism, right. you know? So like the yep. evening of the 23rd is, is Christmas. like it's done. You can yeah. start eating normal food again. Right. So it's like a big deal. Um, a really, apparently they still eat the very traditional um, Icelandic dish, which is when you bury and ferment a skate, which is like a type of ray, uh, you know, is a, yeah, until a fish, it goes all, boy. until it goes all fermented and then they eat it on St. Thorlach's day. Apparently, Love it. <laughs> as a traditional dish for that day. Uh, so yeah. yeah, like I said, like I think this holiday used to be a bigger deal than it is now, but now it's kind of just like lumped in with part right. of the progression it's of christmas the whole thing yeah yeah. The whole thing. yeah um the last thing i have for you is something okay. uh which is interesting but there isn't a whole lot of information about so um in the last 10ish years there has been a push by various organizations to have thorlac recognized as the patron saint of autism uh, and this is because various people kind of recently who have been reading through the saga that was written about him have yes. identified traits and descriptions of him uh-huh. that make it sound like he maybe was on the autism spectrum. Obviously, huh. like you can't That's very formally diagnose right. someone, you know, a thousand years after uh, they have died. A thousand and years like, later. <laughs> you don't know how accurate this saga was. Thing but is. like in general, it seems like. The saga and things they generally know about him makes it seem like it's possible that he was on the autism spectrum. Uh, So one of the things the saga says is that, quote, he was rather dull company and that speech was hard and slow (laughs) for him and that he generally Uh preferred to be alone. Like, as we said, he didn't really want to be the bishop. He wanted to hang out and do his own thing. Um, And that he... When he got interested in things, he would be, like, really passionately, like, more than other people into his interests, um, which is, like, a characteristic of autism. You know, they have – they get really, really into certain things. Um, So people think that these indicate that he possibly was on the autistic spectrum, um, and Uh then they think he's a great representation of, like, how an autistic – 
person can interact with God and like build their faith and, you know, interact right. with their community. And like, he's a good, like, if you want to be a Catholic and yeah. you have autistic traits, like he is a good person who can like help you out with this, right. which is nice. Yeah. Uh, so I'm this sure. is like a push huh. right now for like trying to get him formally recognized. He hasn't been recognized yet. Um, oh, okay. But like, if you are interested in this, if you or someone, you know, but also like autistic, it's like, he does seem like yeah. a solid choice. A solid one. And you can look up but like, things like, about this. A lot of patronages you can just kind of make up. So Yes, you can. Uh, I think they are <laughs> pushing they for like a official. formal, yeah, they're trying yes. to get the Vatican to recognize. The but like I said, this Vatican, has only started yeah. in the last decade or so. So like, yeah, you know, huh, it could still cool, happen. Though. It is. It's interesting. It is also cool just from a, you know, we just don't really have records of anybody, let alone somebody in power who has like those traits, you know? In terms of just, like, what was the frequency of autism in the 1100s? Yeah. Who the hell knows, really? You yeah. know? It's like, it, you didn't you didn't really die from it, so... Yep. <laughs> Who knows? Yep. So, uh, so yeah, that's so, really interesting. And there's a lot of um, the organizations who are, like, pushing for this have, um, like, articles and blogs and prayers and things, both for... If you are on the autistic spectrum and want to learn more about this or have prayers and things, or if you uh, want to pray on behalf of someone who has somebody autism. Else. Yeah. Uh, huh. So if you're interested in that, we will put up some links. Um, there was one woman, it's one, I don't know what her credentials are. I got the impression she was a historian, but I don't actually know if that's true. Who was like the okay. first person to be really be like, oh, hey, someone should look at this. Yeah. Uh, so she has a Pointed lot of information, which we will <laughs> share. Yes. Okay. Uh, so yeah, that is Saint Thorlak, huh. the only Icelandic saint who I picked because he was from Iceland, and I thought that sounded fun. It sounds fun. <laughs> I mean, he hypnotized the seal, so uh, it is pretty great. It's a solid. <laughs> yeah. Pretty weird. Yeah. Not gonna lie. <laughs> Rip that seal. All right. Yeah. Huh. To be fair, he did save the horse. He did save the horse. Yeah. And I mean, in a lot of stories, there's a lot of stories where somebody's like starving and and then an yeah. animal's like, I'll give up my life. And you're like, okay. Yeah, he didn't do that. <laughs> he, had to, he had to hypnotize the seal. Hypnotize the seal. It's sad. I also so, imagine yeah. that it's really not that hard to hypnotize a seal. No, they don't seem like they're totally on top of it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Especially since they don't have sea lions there. They've got... um just seals which mm-hmm. are just round boys mm-hmm. um who just flop about so <laughs> it's not even they can't really even like come at you like sea lions can could you uh, could you outrun a seal like if you had to catch a seal oh. could you run it and catch it oh, oh absolutely because <laughs> i mean the only problem is if you know if they're on ice and they're too close if they're somewhere where they're too close to water yeah they can they're just gonna get, get the to the water yeah, yeah before you can get to them but if they're far enough from the water you can probably get to them before they can get to the water poor seals poor seals all right yeah. all right so yeah well that was very interesting Saint that was delightful yes i'm it's interesting that we actually have like information about him because you know Yes. I think a part of the reason they have so much information is because he it's was in Europe and then because of the saga. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, like, the church in Paris has records of him being there, you know. You can writings. connect the dots. Yeah. Yeah. So you just, like, fill in the blanks. All right. Yeah. Uh, I believe they republished the saga because it was in, you know, ancient yeah. Icelandic, ancient Norwegian, whatever they spoke there in yeah. the early 1100s. Um, right. it, was re- it was translated into modern Icelandic and republished. I think oh. in 1998, 
maybe, cool. which is when Saint uh, when John Paul II visited Iceland Made. and they like you ah, know, did a bunch of stuff. And one of the things fun. they did was republish this saga. That's cool. So if you speak Icelandic, you can get it. I don't know if there is an English translation. I'm sorry. There might be. But there might be. There's definitely a modern not. Icelandic one. <laughs> wow, close enough. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, do please do all the the podcast things. Uh, like review, especially on iTunes, that boosts people in the charts. Share it. Subscribe. That also helps. Etc. And check out the Instagram. We will post some pictures and the link to the music if you're interested in hearing it. Um, it is at Martyr and Monk. Uh, and we will be back again in two weeks. Bye.